over the next three Sundays, including today, uh, we're going to look at um, some of the visions from the book of Ezekiel. Um, Now, what we're looking at this morning isn't actually one of Ezekiel's visions, but I couldn't find a word that described what I want to talk about this morning and the visions, so I just trusted that you'd give me enough leeway on that. Um, And the book of Ezekiel is one of those books in the Old Testament, it's quite long, um, and it can be a bit scary and a bit intimidating to read. It's not as user-friendly as something like Jonah or Ruth in the Old Testament. But it's actually packed full of really important stuff. But here's a message to God's people who have, as they go through the cycle over and over throughout the Old Testament and indeed throughout all history, God sets them right, things are good, they're redeemed, they're saved, and then gradually over time the wheels fall off the wagon, they forget God, they worship idols, they get distracted, the way they live together starts to look less and less less like the kind of community that God's calling them to be. And so the prophets come, they call them back to God. Sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. Sometimes being a prophet, in fact, almost always being a prophet was a very, very hard thing to be. People didn't want to hear that it was wrong. People didn't want to hear it. They said, well, we've been doing this for the last 86 years. Doesn't mean that it's automatically right, or whatever. So Ezekiel has this message to them. And as we get towards the end of the book of Ezekiel, and all three of the readings that we'll have, are all from the last part of the book of Ezekiel. They've been given their judgment, and here now they're looking at how do we set things right from here? What is it going to look like if we turn back towards God? So we're going to explore these images and visions and what they might have to say to us today. More about the book of Ezekiel next week. But the people of God, right from the stories of Genesis through today, through to today, have an important role. We have an important role, a vital one, in showing the world important things about God and God's kingdom. One of the interesting things when you have conversations with people who aren't Christians yet is uh, sometimes in those conversations that I end up having is they say, well, how can you believe in a God that is like this, like this, and like this? I say, well, I don't. I don't believe in the God that you don't believe in either. But somehow they've got this image and idea of God from somewhere that isn't the God that's revealed in the scriptures as we see in Jesus Christ. The question is, where does that picture come from? And it's usually from the church with a big C. So how we are together and how we speak about God matters because it shapes how the rest of the world comes to view God too. And so how we live, what our priorities are, what we put our energies into, how we treat people, what we say, what we commit to, both individually and together, all gives witness to what we think is really important. And for people of faith, tells those around us what we really think God is like and what God is about. We're witnesses, we're ambassadors, we're representatives, we're part of how... God works in the world. And in and through the church, God has brought good things to pass. We see that throughout history. But that's not to say that everything the church has ever done is inherently godly. We know that isn't true. That great harm has been inflicted in the name of God by the church. But that doesn't remove the truth that God can and does work through us to see that God's love is shared and God's mercy is shown. 
Now, this section of the book of Ezekiel has a focus on what it will look like when God restores the people, when they're back from exile, when things are set right again, because that's not how it's been for God's people at this point for some time. And so, as always in Scripture, notice after the judgment comes the restoration. You never get the first without the second. The restoration and the blessings. And as you'll have heard in the reading from Caroline already this morning, God is going to restore their land. God is going to ensure their political protection. God is going to give them dignity again. God is going to make their nation economically viable. God is going to ensure that their leaders are focused on justice. God is going to enable spiritual renewal. And God is going to empower them to live in unity. Sounds all right, doesn't it? And, but that is a world away from what they have been experiencing at the moment where Ezekiel brings this message to them. Verse 24, For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. God is going to clean them up and set them on the right path again. And it goes on. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. If you don't remember any other verses, verse 26 is the key this morning. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. In order to truly be God's people things were going to have to change. The people were going to need to think and feel differently. Their inner worlds would need to be transformed so that the way they lived practically changed as well. Just attempting to follow the rules isn't enough. You and I know that. You can obey the rules without really having your heart in it. Any of you have ever had a child say sorry and not really mean it? Know exactly what that cognitive dissonance is like. There's a difference between saying or doing the right things and it coming from where your heart is and what you're all about. It'll never work for us in the life of faith if our hearts and minds are not set on God and God's kingdom. It's not enough just to go through the motions. Their heart of stone had left them cold and unresponsive to God and to the world around them. They had closed their ears. They'd prioritised doing only what was right for themselves. Injustice went unchecked. People went ignored. And God was put aside. And so God is going to give them, we're told, the gift of the Holy Spirit to help them, not just to do the right things, but to want to do the right things too. And how does that all work? Well, their heart of stone is going to be replaced with a heart of flesh. No longer cold and hard and unresponsive and impervious. Their hearts are now going to be warm and soft and open and vulnerable. I wonder what it might look like if the Holy Spirit were to come and do a similar work in us today. What would it look like for us to be changed like this? I wonder how the Holy Spirit might rearrange our internal life so that we had hearts and minds after God's own? What would it look like if we were to live lives that were softer and warmer and more vulnerable? 
You see, that's the opposite of the advice that we're so often given, that to get on, you need to grow a thicker skin. We'll need to toughen up. As if getting on in the world is why we exist in the first place. We do get hurt. And sometimes there's nothing we can do about that. It's the price of being there. It's the price of living, of being involved. We share the feelings of those around us. We have compassion. We share pain. There's no alternative to getting hurt in this life except shutting up shop and having nothing to do with anyone, especially those who might ever be hurting or angry themselves. And so far from telling us to toughen up and shut it all out, God's heart for us is that our hearts and our minds might instead be gentle and humble and open to listening to God and to each other. That should change how we approach living the life of faith. It should change how we live together as God's people. 400 years ago, a pastor called John Robinson said, The Lord hath yet more truth and light to break forth from his holy word. God isn't done showing us and teaching us yet. That's clearly true. None of us in our mind can contain all of the truth and splendor of God. It would be a quite incredible claim to make if we thought we could. Which means there will always be things we need to be reminded about that we can learn, that we need to grow in. And if we're impervious or try to live as if we are to the influence of those around us, living in a way where we cannot feel people's pain because we never listen to what they have to say, where our focus in meetings is about winning and our focus at the meal table is ourselves, then our hearts are beginning to harden and we need to ask the Spirit to come and soften us again. It's telling, friends, I think, that when God seeks to do something, to change the situation that the people in this uh, part of the Old Testament, to change the situation for them, to help the people faithfully live as God's children, the heart of stone isn't replaced by something even more impenetrable. It isn't upgraded to be even better stone. It isn't rhinoceros hide coated. Instead, it's a heart of flesh. The work of the Spirit in us is a heart that is better able to feel the pain of others because it is better able to enter relationships with them. It's a heart that is better able to feel the heart of God, to hold up the thick skin and the heart of stone as the ideal. is often just an excuse to ignore God and disregard the feelings of our sisters and brothers. Or as Proverbs 28 puts it, Blessed is the one who always trembles before God, but whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. To deliberately try to preserve a thick skin is not a a thin skin. To deliberately try to preserve a thin skin is not a sign of weakness, but instead a sign of emotional intelligence. And the acceptance, the offer of a new heart, one that is in tune with the God who offers it. If we look through scripture, we find actually this guidance is everywhere. It's not just in the book of Ezekiel. Instructions how to live this fleshy heart kind of life. And so in Ephesians 4 we read, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. And in Philippians 4 we read, 
Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, the Apostle Paul encourages him, But you, man of God, flee from all this, and instead pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Three chapters earlier, when he's writing to Timothy about the kind of people who might serve as leaders with him in the church, he says that Timothy is to look for people who are faithful to their spouse, self-controlled, who are hospitable, who are not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, and are not quarrelsome. And in Galatians 5, we read, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. For against such things there is no law. I could go on. But what, but what all those verses have in common, besides encouraging us to be gentle in the way we live in this life, is that they come from letters written to church communities who are trying to work out how best to follow Jesus in the world in which they found themselves. And this is where we ultimately see this lived out at its most beautiful and challenging, of course. Because those communities are looking directly to the person of Jesus Christ to work out how who he is shapes how they should live. Remember our two theological questions? What kind of God? And so what? Here we have it again. When Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, in verse 28, it's important to go on to the next verse, which says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Gentle and humble in heart. Friends, that's how Jesus is, and therefore that's how we are to work at being too. Now I know that Jesus is in so many ways an impossible role model. But if we believe that Jesus shows us what it means to be fully human, and we believe that with God's help we can become more like him, then this way of being is something for each of us to aspire to. If we want to take seriously the task of being disciples of Jesus Christ in this life and of being a community of disciples, we need to take the example of his life far more seriously than we often do. We talk about his death, but we need to also look at the way he lived. He lived a very fleshy life. He sat and he ate with friends and he listened and he went to parties and he cried and he knew pain and he never closed his heart to the people around him. We know that he wasn't crucified in a cathedral between beautiful furniture, but on a cross built by prisoners in the part of town where nobody wanted to be. And because that's where he died and what he died for, this is where we ought to be too. Taking this charge of Jesus seriously is how we stop ourselves becoming another social club or community group. It's how we begin to understand the revolution that is the good news. It should be profoundly challenging 
and just a little bit uncomfortable for us to consider what it is that Jesus asks us to be and to do. If you are never challenged by the life of Jesus Christ or what he calls you to be and do in this life, I'm going to suggest you've not read it properly. Taking the message and example of Jesus seriously will require each of us to be willing to be vulnerable, to have compassion, to seek to preserve the thin skin which allows us to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and to weep with those who are weeping. A big open heart is what God is seeking to create in each of us. Now, it's not easy to live that sort of life, I know that. But it is exactly the sort of life that Jesus lived. We've been celebrating Christmas where Jesus comes to us in the most vulnerable way possible. Not with political power and rallies of people, nor with military muscle, but as a newborn baby. It didn't look like winning to so many of the people at the time. To those on the outside, it just looked like a ridiculous thing. To those on the inside, it was thoroughly underwhelming. This is the saviour? Really? But it was exactly what we needed and exactly what the whole of creation needed in order to be free. And if we're to find new ways of putting this into practice, of thinking what it means to be a gentler, humbler community, that might not look like winning much either. When we invite people to explore our faith, we can never do it, promising that their life will automatically get better in the material sense. But we know that there is something more and that it is so good that on our best days, everything else melts away and the goodness of being a child of God sustains us. Since then, you have been raised with Christ Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Friends, my prayer for you, my prayer for me, my prayer for our life together in this moment, is that we might embrace a gentler and humbler way of being, And that as we do that, people might come to see something of the goodness and compassion and mercy of God. Will you join me in giving it a go? Let's pray. Lord, we see through so much of the message that you gave to the prophets, including to the prophet Ezekiel, What how easily we turn from you and who you are and what you call us to do. 
And so, Lord, we come now asking for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit on us. We pray that you would help us to live as Jesus lived, to have hearts after his own. Lord, we pray that you might soften our hearts in the days and weeks and months ahead. And that as you do that, we might be more vulnerable to hearing from you and more open to receiving the gifts of those around us. Lord, help us grow to be more soft and vulnerable and open and fleshy, we pray.